always a privilege to be able to study God's Word together with you. And I hope that on Sunday evenings you are benefiting as I am from our study of favorite Bible passages. Many of you over the months that I've been dealing with these passages have given me your favorite passages. And I know some of you have told me on the way out, I didn't give you mine when I, you asked, but I do have one and it's this. If you do want me to address yours, I encourage you to write it down on a note card. If you've already given me one, I still have it, but uh, for some of you who have not, uh, my memory does not last very long as people are passing by, so if you have one and you want me to address it, then I encourage you to pass it to me as you leave tonight. Tonight I want to discuss Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. And I, every week as I look at these passages and I try to explain why this one is so important, is many of the passages that are favorites are those that express a goal or an ambition, an aspiration that we might have. I think about many of the passages which hold forth great thoughts. I think about passages like Isaiah 6 and verse 8, where Isaiah says, Here am I, send me, to where we could get to this idea that we're willing to volunteer, we're willing to step up and say, Lord, whatever you need me to do, I'm willing to do that. Or I can think about other people like Samuel, when he said in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 9, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Whatever God says in his word, I'm listening. I'm listening to see what it says for me to do and the direction that God wants me to go. Well, Ezra 7 and verse 10 is one of those passages that in my mind holds forth an aspiration for me as a gospel preacher but I think there's a lot in there for each of us to be able to grasp. In order to fully appreciate that, before we actually enter the lesson, I want to present to you just a very brief background behind Ezra. If you'll remember, the children of Israel were taken captive by the Babylonians. That began in 606 B.C. with the deportation of Daniel, Hananiah, Azrael, Mishael, those young Hebrew youths that were taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. There was a second group of people that were taken in 597 B.C., and among them was Ezekiel the prophet and others along with him. And then finally, the destruction of the temple took place in 586 B.C. when the rest of the main part of the people were taken captive to Babylon. They stayed there for a period of 70 years. And after 70 years, there arose a kingdom which brought an end to the Babylonian Empire. It was the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus, according to the book of Isaiah, was chosen by God, his servant. And he decreed that all those who had been taken captive could return. And thus... In 536 B.C., 70 years after Daniel and the other Hebrew youths were taken captive, Zerubbabel led the first return, a restoration of the people to the land. 
And that was such a, an important time because the people who had for a generation been another country were now able to go back home and repopulate it. But if you follow it in the future, about another 75 years, around 457 B.C., Ezra leads a spiritual rebuilding of the people. You know, they came back but they had done things they ought not to have done. And there was not this deep spiritual uh, part of the people. And so just like there had to be a restoration of the people to the land, there had to be a restoration of God's Word to the people. And that's where Ezra fits in God's picture. Of course, just a few years later, about 13 years later, then comes Nehemiah. And he comes to restore the walls and the city of Jerusalem so that it can be, once again, a nation serving God. Well, I want you to notice with me tonight, Ezra 7 and verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. If you want to outline the, pa the passage, there's three things we will look about. Number one is preparation. Number two is practice. And number three is proclamation in the life of Ezra. Let's begin, first of all, with this idea of preparation. You want to do something good in life? You've got to prepare to do it. You want to be a school teacher? You need to go to school and learn how to teach. You need to go to school and learn the subject that you're going to teach. You want to be a person who's going to deal with finance. You need to understand and prepare yourself with math courses to be able to calculate. You want to work in the medical field? You need to understand the human body and you need to understand how various uh, things can change the body for good and even understand what things change the body for bad. You want to be a spiritual person. You want to serve God acceptably. You've got to prepare yourself. And the very first thing that you have to understand is the essentiality of preparing your spiritual heart. There are a number of passages that talk about the heart. And I will tell you that when I started on this sermon on Monday, I had about eight or nine passages under this point. And I said, okay, that's what I'm going to go through. I'm going to go through this one and this one and this one. And when I got through and you start trying to polish the sermon and get it ready to preach, you think, no, that's not really hitting the point that you're trying to make. And so I went back and I said, there are some other passages which hit that point exactly. And found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Moses writes, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. One of the mistakes that sometimes we make is to suggest that when you go to the New Testament, God wants you to do the right thing, but He wants you to have the right heart with it. 
The Old Testament, we would say many times, were those passages where God told them what to do, but their heart didn't have to be in it. That's wrong. Under the Old Testament system, God says, I not only want your heart, I want all your heart. And I want my word to be in your heart. Deuteronomy 26 and verse 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Moses is making it abundantly clear that the heart has to be involved. In 2 Chronicles chapter 12, you have the king of Israel who really becomes the king of Judah alone. He was a man that after Solomon died was given, you might say, on a silver platter, the kingdom. And he could have reigned and he could have led, but he didn't. And the question is, why didn't he? Listen as the chronicler writes, Thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitis, and he did evil because, now here's the key, he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Those are the same words in Ezra 7.10. Only difference is Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. But Rehoboam didn't. The truth is, for every one of us, for you, for me, the heart we have will guide what we do. In Matthew 12, Jesus said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart or evil treasure brings forth evil things. You have a good heart. You prepare your heart. You say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Now, that brings up a matter of practicality. How do I do that? How do I prepare my heart to seek the law of the Lord? You may be here as a relatively new Christian. You may be here as one who's been a Christian for 40, 50 years. The question is, how do I prepare my heart to seek the law of the Lord? Well, I suggest to you the first thing is you have to determine to let God's Word have free course in your life. Let it decide where you're going to go, what you're going to do, how you're going to say things. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. I'm going to read the New King James first and then the original King James. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified as it is with you. In this case, I actually prefer the rendering of the original King James. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. The idea of a course is like a stream or a river. And do you know what happens when a stream or a river flows? 
it follows the path where it's going to go. And sometimes it may turn a crook. Sometimes it may go straight. But what he's saying is let the Word of God have free course in your life. Let it direct you the, the way that you're going to go. And someone says, well, how do I do that? Psalm 119, verse 105. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light to my path. It shows me the way to go and I'm going to follow it. I may not know where it always leads, but I'm always going to follow it. In order to do that, you have to admit that God's Word has the answer and that we do not. For most of us, I think I'm speaking for most of us, we think we know the right answer most of the time. We feel like that with our minds and our hearts that we can figure out the right thing to do. But you know, Proverbs chapter 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You see, he's trying to say, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't depend upon yourself. Depend upon what God says. And then when you go to Jeremiah 10, 23, Oh Lord, I know the way of man. It is not a man that walks to direct his own steps. Man is incapable of making the right choice. Ezra prepared his heart to seek it. Second thing, to do it. It's not enough just to seek to know what God wants me to do. I have to understand there has to be some action on my part. Many people have heard God's word, but have never acted upon it. Matthew 7, in the great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave a whole section on hearing and doing. And here's the way he puts it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And great was its fall. What Jesus is saying is you have got to make sure that in your mind you've got determined I'm going to do what God says to do and if you don't, you don't get to go to heaven. James 
said essentially the same thing with just different words. In James chapter 1, he says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, and for he observes himself and goes away and forgets, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. It's vain. You see, the same picture is given here. If you're not listening and doing, it doesn't profit you. And then you get chapter 4 and verse 17. He says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. We've got to be the kind of people who know what we ought to do and do it. In John 13, 17, Jesus said simply, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Romans 2.21 explains why this is so serious. He said, You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? He's saying, Are you living by what you know you ought to do and what you teach you ought to do? But number three is the proclamation of it. Teaching it. And again, it's not enough to just know it and it's not enough to just know it and do it. God expects us to teach. And I know there's a lot of people immediately saying, well, yeah, that's what your job is. You're a preacher. You're a teacher. That's what you're supposed to do. That's right. But that does not alleviate you from responsibility of trying to reach out to your neighbors and your friends and the obligations you have. I want to point out to you that Ezra was to be a teacher. Ezra is called a scribe, but Ezra is also called a priest. Do you realize that when you get to the New Testament, we do not have a religious caste and then a laity caste? You don't have priests that you have to go to and tell your problems to. You know why? Peter said, you, the church, are a royal priesthood. Well, listen to Malachi 2, verse 7. For the lips of the priest should keep knowledge, and the people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Under the Old Testament, those priests scattered in those 48 Levitical cities throughout all of the land of Israel were there so people could go and, we want to know what the law means. Okay? Here's what it means. Let me tell you. Let me explain it to you. When Artaxerxes gave Ezra the charge to return and to teach his people. He said, And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river. 
all such as know the laws of your God and teach those who do not know them. We need people out here willing to have influence on people in every facet of life. There are places that some of you can go and there are people to whom you can speak that no preacher will ever have an opportunity to go to. And you are a priest of God. And people should be able to find the law of the Lord in your mouth. And if you don't know it, learn it. There are those willing to teach it to you. Everyone should aspire to be a teacher. When you get to the book of Hebrews, he is concerned very much that those who are his audience are fading away from their faith. Chapter 3, verse 12, Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and falling away from the living God. When he gets to chapter 5, he says in verse 11, he says, of whom I have many things to say and heart of interpretation since you have become dull of hearing. Then listen to verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you come to need milk and not solid food. When you look at Ezra, he says, I want to prepare my heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach ordinances and statutes in Israel. That ought to be our desire as well. God designed the message to be self-replicating from person to person, from generation to generation. When he wrote Timothy, he says, And the things which you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Where are the next generation of preachers going to come from? Right here. Some of you young men need to be putting it in your heart to say, I'm going to be a herald of God's word. I'm going to speak the truth and speak it in love. But I want you to notice he said he intended to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Some people make fun of me because I like to read manuals. When I buy a new piece of computer software or a new piece of hardware, I will take that manual and I will read it like it's a novel. In fact, that's a whole lot more interesting to me than a novel because it actually has some benefit, at least to me. When people look at God's Word many times, you know what they see in it? They see a manual there. And they look at that manual as saying, uh, I'll figure it out without reading the manual. In many people's eyes, manuals that tells you do this and don't do that are boring. Many are enthralled with fables and stories. I wrote when I typed this, they appeal to the unchurched. 
I think sometimes they appeal to the church to people as well. What would you rather hear? Someone get up here and read the law of the Lord or someone get up here and tell you a real interesting story? Let me tell you, the real interesting story might capture your attention. It might be that which really, oh boy, that was such a good point. But what does it benefit you? Listen to 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Ezra said, I want to teach in Israel statutes and ordinances. Not every sermon that you hear is going to be one that you're going to say, oh boy, that just went down so smooth. They're not supposed to be that way if they're the truth. They're supposed to be something that educates you that helps encourage you and informs you what God wants you to do. And this is what God wanted taught. Listen to Leviticus and then Deuteronomy. You therefore shall keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. You know how the New Testament takes that? Now the just shall live by faith. The just, the righteous. Listen to Deuteronomy 4 verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and to the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live, go in and possess the land which the Lord your God of your fathers is giving you. You want to live in the land? You want to please God? Listen to the ordinances. Listen to the statutes. They're going to be what will help you make it to heaven. When you get to chapter 10, there's been a background of problems in the book of Ezra. He saw himself as having an obligation, as having a job to do. And here's the way it responds. Yet now there is hope in Israel. According to the advice of my master and those who tremble at the commandment of God... And let it be done according to the law. Ezra said, let's learn to respect God's word. And do it. And there's hope for the nation. And there's hope for us. There's hope for the people of God if we will prepare our hearts, practice what we learn from God's law, and teach it to others. Tonight, if you'll take your songbook out, we want to urge you, encourage you,
to be obedient to God. We don't ask you to do anything that's a command of any man. What we do encourage you to do is to be responsible to and obedient to the statutes and ordinances from God. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 24, If you believe not that I am He, you will die in your sins. You must believe that He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said in Luke 13, verse 3 and verse 5, I tell you no, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You not only have to believe that he's the Christ, but you have to look at your life and see your sins for what they really are and be willing to repent of them. To make that good confession that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God as the eunuch did in Acts 8 and verse 37. And then Jesus taught, John the Baptist taught, the apostles taught, and everyone who's faithful to God's word teaches that you must be baptized for the remission of your sins. For those of you who are Christians and you look at your life and you see a failure there, and you have to be honest with yourself. If there's a failure there, you've got to acknowledge it. And you've got to come back with humility to the God of heaven and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. If your failure is private between you and God, there's a failure that only you are aware of, you go to God tonight and you pray to Him and ask His forgiveness. And He's assured you that He will. The kinds of things you've done are public. You need to make a public acknowledgement of them. And we'll pray with you and for you. What a privilege we enjoy tonight. Would you come as we stand and sing?